today on Ag News Daily. Getting back up to the 490 area, which is about 20 cents above where uh, markets had traded near their highs today, uh, would be a good technical pro- projection into where uh, wheat has, has declined from. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another Ag News Daily podcast. My name is Delaney Howell, joined by my co-host Mike Pearson, and today is a hashtag Market Monday episode. Today, Mike. It sure is, Delaney, and what a day to talk markets. I tell you what, we've got a heck of a rally going on in the grain markets. A lot of this spurred on by the late, uh, was it Friday? Was that the announcement for the uh, phase one of the trade deal? Um... No, I think it was technically Thursday. Okay, so we talked about it on Friday. We did. We did. But Perfect. we have a few more details that we really didn't know before. Or I guess just to resummarize, I just want to go ahead and clarify for everybody what we absolutely do know from this trade deal. The first of which is, according to the White House only, China has agreed to buy between $40 billion to $50 billion in U.S. agricultural commodities annually for the next two years. However, China has not confirmed this, but they did say details will be released in a timely manner. China has also supposedly agreed to lift a wide variety of non-tariff barriers on U.S. ag commodities, including biotech trait approvals. And China has also agreed to scrap plans to increase tariffs as well as the U.S. that would have gone into effect yesterday. So what we don't know is exactly which U.S. ag commodities they will be buying over the next two years and which products they will be removing those tariffs from, as well as how they're going to implement certain pieces of this trade deal, like the biotech traits and making sure that they don't steal some of that property back from us. Right. Still a lot of uncertainty. The uh, the deal that was announced on Thursday, Lenny, you are correct. The text of that deal is now being translated by different parties to make sure that both the American and the Chinese version line up. And apparently this is going to be quite a challenge because there are American words that uh, Chinese doesn't have a synonym for. So apparently this, this whole translation thing is going to take quite a bit of time. It is expected, however, that the signing will take place early in January, and then the deal will take place or go into effect 30 days after signing. So, I mean, we've still got, you know, 45 to 60 days before we might expect to see some real movement on the the trade front. Yeah, and unfortunately, I feel like, I guess I don't know legally if we could see this fall apart, but I guess the fact that it's not inked and signed, to me, indicates that perhaps we could see something fall through again, unfortunately. Right, right. That's always the wild card. You know, we were talking in the office here at Zaner last week that, you know, so far, this isn't all that different than what we had in August. Uh, We do have both sides saying they've come to an agreement. We do have both sides pledging to make some commitments in the future. And we have both sides saying they're going to work to get this deal signed. And then, of course, as we saw in August, it didn't happen. So that is still very much a risk. But uh, the markets so far seem to be taking it um, and, and kind of running with it. Absolutely. Except one piece of trade news that's kind of fallen apart over the weekend, Mike, is the USMCA agreement. We thought perhaps it was smooth sailing since the House had signed off on the agreement, 
But now it looks like Mexico is unhappy. They said that basically the U.S. squeezed some last-minute provisions into the new deal that call for the U.S. to install five new attaches in Mexico to monitor the country's labor reform efforts. And so their chief North American negotiator, Jesus Siete, said that he will be flying into Washington, D.C. I believe he flew in late last night and expects to meet with U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer and other U.S. lawmakers as early as today to explain Mexico's concerns in person. But seems like we take one step forward and two or three steps back with this. Yes, and I've been reading a lot of different trade lawyers' opinions on this all morning, and there seems to be kind of a consensus, at least on the U.S. side and and on some uh, some legal experts in Mexico, that Okay, Mexico's found some things it objects to, but the Mexican Senate has already signed off. Um, so apparently they've, as you mentioned, the, the Mexican you know, trade person and Robert Lighthizer have gotten together, and they met for about an hour this morning. But they can lodge all the complaints they want. But since the Mexican Senate has already signed off on this deal, it's going to go into effect mm-hmm. uh, as soon as the U.S. passes it. So that's, you know, I mean, Mexican... Mexico can always say, no, we're done. We're not going to do it. But um, the deal as it stands, as it was voted on, appears to be legal and and binding until Mexico decides to pull out of it completely and launch a renegotiation yet again, which, you know, I don't know if they've got the stomach to do. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's, I guess, a little bit of good news on that front. Yeah, I guess. It's it's more uncertainty, Delaney, is, is exactly what it is. Yeah. Of course. Well, speaking of uncertainty, uh, we've been talking about Roundup for the past, well, two years, I suppose. Um, Monsanto, now Bears product Roundup, of course, has been in court for uh, the past two years under allegations that it causes or is a contributor to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Well, Bayer this morning said it asked a U.S. federal appeals court to throw out a $25 million judgment that it was ordered to pay for the uh, the uh, guy in California who was uh, diagnosed with or you know, killed from non-Hodgkin's, non-Hodgkin's Hodgkin's lymphoma, Gosh, that's tough to say, um, which which was blamed on Roundup. Um, we, we don't know when this hearing is going to go, but Bayer was saying that the verdict defied regulatory findings and sound science, adding that it was a speculative case that never should have been brought before a jury. So we'll continue to see what is happening on this thing as it goes a little farther into the future. But, uh, you know, Bayer is, is fighting back. They want to keep Monsanto as a tool or excuse me, keep Roundup as a tool in the toolbox going forward well mike another tool i guess it's not really a tool but just another way of doing business for especially animal agriculture may be changing i don't know if you've seen this mike but new jersey senator cory booker who is of course running for the 2020 presidential elections has put forth a new piece of legislation that would ban new industrial scale livestock farms otherwise known as CAFOs. And require those existing ones to close by January of 2040. He said that this bill is going to strengthen the Packers and Stockyards Act of 1921. And basically anybody with 
More than 700 dairy cows, more than 2,500 hogs, 1,000 head of cattle, and 30,000 broiler chickens will be forced to either sell out their operation or downscale it drastically. And they said it's going to take about $100 billion over the next decade to set aside for voluntary buyouts. But uh, as we all know, or hopefully most of you know by now, uh, Cory Booker is a vegan candidate and he said that he's oh, not proposing I forgot he was a vegan Delaney and you know he said I'm not proposing that people eat one way or the other um but he's saying because of the hashtag fair cattle markets campaign that was launched in September that's largely why he's pushing this new piece of legislation forward yeah, you know, and you know the irony of that whole fair cattle markets thing, which which caused quite a stir. Got a lot of folks talking. There definitely are some concerns with packer consolidation. We have you know four major packer buyers out there bidding up cash cattle prices. That's an issue. But uh, you know, when you get these balls rolling, a lot of times they pick up other things. You know, they start to snowball. And now we've got, as you mentioned, uh, Cory Booker out there saying that there will be nobody. If he's elected, and if this bill passes, you know, a lot of ifs, of course, but if these things fall in place, he does not want anybody feeding more than a thousand head of cattle in one place in this country. Uh, think of all the yards in Kansas. Think of the yards in Iowa and Nebraska and South Dakota and Minnesota and Texas, of all places, New Mexico, Arizona. Yeah. We feed lots and lots of cattle in yards that are 42 150,000 mm-hmm. head, and he wants them all closed down. You know, so a thousand Booker heads. Is staying with this plan. Right, yeah, and ahead. a thousand head to me, even like 2,500 hogs, like that really isn't that big of an operation, in my opinion. Like, I feel that a lot of people can easily manage and manage that number of head very well, even if it's just, you know, one guy or one gal farming it. Like, I don't know if that's part of the concern, too, is the humane aspect of it, but I feel like that's a very manageable number. Oh, absolutely. You, you look at the number of feed yards, the number of hog operations, the number of poultry operations out there, poultry where they're running millions of birds on several barns, where hogs, you know, I, I haven't kept up with the hog industry, but I know a lot of guys who are running, you know, multiple dual barn operations, yeah. and they're managing it well, and they're not contributing to environmental degradation. They're putting manure back into the ground. They're rebuilding carbon in the soil. What Cory Booker's plan is about, Delaney, and this just struck me when you mentioned he's a vegan, the plan is about driving up the cost of meat. Because if you make sure that nobody can efficiently feed livestock, what's going to happen is we're going to have much fewer animals on feed. So all the folks that are in this fair cattle market thing to try and get some change, well, the change is coming and you're going to be out of business. That's what this plan from Cory Booker is about. Raise up the price of meat, get people away from choosing meat. It's very frustrating. Uh, I actually saw that this morning. He announced it, I believe, either today or over the weekend. And I shared it around the office. And my concern is that Cory Booker, he's not going to win, obviously. No, I don't he's think so either. polling at 0% on the Democratic side. I don't even think he's in the debates anymore. But this proposal has gotten quite a bit of positive feedback from the environmental movement, from the you know, support small farmers, you know, that kind of uh, crowd. And it's it's really 
polling fairly well, I would not be surprised to see one of the Democratic frontrunners pick up Picking bits and up. pieces yeah. of this plan. Yeah. And think... if they look to end CAFOs, which is the part of this plan that really rubs me the wrong way, you know, Packers and Stock Care Deck, yes, we can definitely modernize that. Yes, there definitely should be some more teeth in there. You know, we don't want monopolies on right. the cattle buying side of the ledger. We want more negotiated cash cattle trade. We want more transparency in the poultry industry. All those things are good, but boy, to to say that in 20 years we're going to push all of American livestock producers out of business unless they're running a weird, you know, not weird, but a small-scale pasture operation, that's incredibly frustrating. Well, I think the other piece of that that's really frustrating is just, I mean, I don't know if this message does not get shared as much in mainstream media or mainstream like consumer trends or whatever but we have to feed you know 10 billion people by 2050 and if we're eliminating animal agriculture we cannot all possibly eat you know alternative proteins and petri dish proteins as i like to call them there's no way that we can have that much produce to feed that many people i feel like well, what will happen is if we're not allowed to raise livestock efficiently in this country, well, they still will be able to in South America, and we will see all of that livestock production move down south of the equator to Brazil and Argentina, and it will become one more product mm. that Americans are forced to import. It's a phenomenally flawed plan. It is flawed. Hopefully we don't see it pick up any traction, but like you said there, I could see some candidates uh, that are running on the Democratic side pick that up, pick up bits right. and pieces of that. I mean, it's certainly that. in Elizabeth Warren mm-hmm. and Bernie Sanders' wheelhouse, you know, I yeah. mean, sticking up for the, the little guy, which is allegedly what this plan is about. Um, yeah, I don't know. Keep your eyes open, folks. Keep them open. Mike, do you have any other news to share today? Well, I, I do. I've got two quick pieces of news. First, uh, while we're talking, you know, livestock production and... Yeah. Monopoly in uh, in meat production. Tyson Foods has been cleared to ship poultry to China from all its U.S. plants. All 36 of Tyson's uh, uh, blah, 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 blah. poultry processing plants are now approved by the Chinese government to ship poultry into that country. They are expected to begin taking orders early next year. So there we go. We're going to be shipping more birds, uh, at least bird pieces, overseas to China. The other piece of news I think we need to be talking about and keeping an eye on, definitely was a contributing factor today to the rally, especially in wheat, is the new government down in Argentina. Over the weekend, they announced an increase in grains export taxes. And uh, let me pull up the numbers here. Bear with me for a second. So they, they are going to raise the tax rate the export tax rate for soybeans, soy oil, and soy meal to 30%. From right now, it's around 25%. Corn and wheat are jumping to 12% taxes from 7% taxes. And um, effectively, this has a lot of the agriculture community in Argentina nervous because obviously they need to be shipping these goods overseas. And if they're getting taxed more to do it, they are going to be a little more willing to hold these things in bags or storage on the farm as a hedge okay well if that is all your more serious news i just have an interesting piece of news i'd like to end on for today drop it honestly well we continue to see farmers pushing the envelope when it comes to their corn yields we finally just got the uh record corn yield for 
the corn yield contest that's put on by the National Association or the National Corn Growers Association, excuse me there. And we saw this year that the 2019 winner of the corn yield contest was David Hula of Charles City, Virginia. Mike, would you like to guess what his highest yield on record was? For corn. For corn. 616 bushel per acre, I'm guessing. Oh, you looked at that, didn't you? Oh my gosh, was I right? Yeah, 616.19 bushels. I was close. I'm a pretty good guesser, Delaney. I think you saw it. I did. I saw it on Twitter. Okay. But still, interesting stuff. I, I think it's. I think it'd be interesting to talk to those people, too, like how much effort they're putting in to get, you know, one acre with that high of yield. Right. I mean, absolutely spoon-feeding the crop. And, uh, yeah, yeah, managing as many of the... Uh, the variables as possible to get those kind of uh, those kind of numbers, which is pretty crazy, you know, because we've talked in agriculture, at least I've heard it mentioned by agronomists and other people much smarter than I am, that when you look at a bag of seed corn, the genetic potential in that bag is uh, 600 bushel per acre. And now we've proved it. Well, we didn't, but David right. really did. Somebody else did. Right. It has been proven, I should say, outside of a lab. It has. All right. With all that being said, should we jump into the markets? Let's do it. All right. Well, let's take a look at the markets brought to us today by the folks at agmarket.net. Folks, if you need to uh, stay up to date on your marketing and and put a plan in place, check them out, agmarket.net, and uh, check out their new app on the Google Play and Apple iTunes store. In the grains, we've got green all the way down the screen, really led early today by the wheat market. Corn and soybeans followed right along and posted solid gains all the way around. In corn, the March contract was up seven cents at 388 even. The May up six and three quarters, closed at 394 and three quarters. In soybeans, January was up 14 and a half at 922 even. The March up 14 and a half as well, finished at 936 even. In Chicago wheat, the March contract up 17 and a quarter cents off the highs by a little bit, but finished the day at 549 and three quarters. The May up 16 and a half to finish at 551 and a quarter. Looking at the world of livestock, we've got uh, some some weakness in the cattle complex today. December live cattle down seven and a half cents at 122.30. February down 30 cents to close at 127.25. Feeder cattle January down 42.50, finished 145.25. The March down 65, finished at 145.60. And in lean hogs, we've got the February lean hog contract up a dollar on the day to close at 70.50, and the April. Up a dollar twenty-two and a half, finishing at seventy-seven forty-five. Now we can't forget about our friends in the dairy industry. Looking at the class three milk uh, weakness, front month December down a penny, nineteen thirty-nine. However, big weakness in January, down sixty-eight cents to wrap the day at seventeen thirty-five. Without further ado, Delaney, what do you say we kick it into our hashtag Market Monday segment? Let's do it, Mike. Well, folks, for today's edition of Hashtag Market Monday, we are joined by Zaner Ag Hedge market strategist Dan Hussey. Dan, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mike. Oh, boy, Dan, I tell you what, it was an exciting day in the grains. Kicked off Sunday night, gaps higher on pretty much everything, and then the rally really picked up during the day. Was this all just enthusiasm about the U.S.-China trade deal, kind of carrying through 
through the weekend? Uh, yeah, I would say it is. There's definitely uh, some news that came out after the bell last week that we weren't able to, to digest until this week after you know the open or the Sunday night open, I should say. Uh, but seeing that follow through into today's day session is really the important thing. We've seen so many days where we finish at lows and then rally in the overnight only to sell off the next morning. Uh, seeing the follow through during the U.S. session when traders are active, when funds are trading, it is a show of confidence, I think, in the, in the, in the deal that has otherwise been put to paper but not yet signed. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get into some specifics. Um, really, the big mover today was the wheat markets. All three classes, Kansas City, uh, Minneapolis, and Chicago, all were moving. Um, we did hear some news. We talked about it on the podcast a little earlier. Argentina put some additional export taxes on, on their grains, wheat included. Um, was that a contributing factor? I guess, why did wheat lead the complex today? I think it's a contributing factor. We also had a pretty tight trading range for the last two months in wheat that we finally broke out above today. So uh, in addition to you know a, a technical breakout and, and stops being run above those highs, uh, there was definitely more favorable news in, in the wheat market, including you know while we got some rain across uh, uh, the, the central plains, there was definitely some dryness there. Uh, deteriorating um, or, or excuse me, deteriorating supplies out of the, you know the rest of the world. Um, coupled with a little bit of a weaker dollar here on the U.S. home front, um, have all made for kind of a perfect storm. And I mentioned exports for wheat uh, probably coming to the forefront here, and which is what the dollar would be uh, affecting, uh, because the KC wheat was the leader of, of the whole bunch, uh, being the dominant uh, factor in our wheat complex for exports, seeing that higher quality wheat come back better bid today and actually start to narrow or tighten uh, that spread between the Chicago and KC just a little bit by a few pennies today, but it's a start uh, to an otherwise market that's been pretty hammered the last uh, three, four months. Well, talk us through it. Where do you see wheat going from here? I, I, we're in pretty much a new technical scenario with this big move up to the upside. What what are you looking for right now? Yeah, so Chicago wheat, um, it probably you know has another 10 to 20 cents to go before we're into its... Uh, I would call it, you know, resistance area or where bulls maybe come back in uh, with a fresh mite. Um, KC wheat, very similar. Uh, getting back up to the 490 area, which is about 20 cents above where uh, markets had traded near their highs today, uh, would be a good technical pro projection into where uh, wheat has, has declined from. So over the last year or so, we've seen wheat go from contract highs in the March contracts down to contract lows um, a few months ago. We're running now up into the very technical 50% retracement of that decline. Um, and just from a technical perspective, um, it's usually thought that, you know, there could be some selling pressure or, or some form of, uh, you know, technical, you know, buyers taking profit uh, into that type of level. So now that we've broken out of a range we've been in and there isn't much in the way of getting us up uh, in the way until those uh, technical levels above us, I think we still have some legs to go here um, uh, before, you know, we, had, we need to worry about any kind of short term or intermediate top. Final question on the wheat side. We have we have pretty ugly close in wheat. The final thirty minutes, we saw a pretty brisk sell off in at least the Chicago contract. Does that make you a little nervous starting the overnight session tonight? You know, it's never never great to see right little red on the close. So we all want the day to go out strong and then to see that immediate follow through. But the truth is, markets never move in a straight line. And when you're up twenty cents on the day, you know a five six cent pullback off those highs. 
that's only a 25% give back on a whole move. So the market's still making, you know, three steps forward, one step back. Um, and back and fill price action to test the broken out, you know, resistance level now as support um, is would be a pretty normal uh, type of market oscillation, if okay. you will, uh, before continuing the trend higher. All right. Now let's talk about the corn market because mm -hmm. corn uh, gapped up in the overnight, was flat pretty much all overnight, even in through the start of the day session today. And it took a little while before the buyers really got engaged, uh, but they did. Mm -hmm. We saw again buyers come back through. Like you said, day session trading was stronger. Where do you see corn moving from here, Dan? You know, while corn cash markets and the basis have been strong, it's been a little disappointing to see that it's taken it's been such a slow boat to turn here if we're forming you know a major bottom um which leads me to believe that corn is still you know waiting in the on the sidelines uh given that there's still so much argument over our USDA numbers um but it seemed to almost be waiting for beans and wheat to get their job done and might have only been following the the strength in those two markets here today more so than maybe a strength in the corn market uh, it certainly was a strong day. Uh, being up, closing up seven cents is nothing to to sneeze at. But um, the real movers today were, were wheat and, and beans. Uh, and to me, um, corn seems to just be waiting for those to maybe play catch up with the support it's been holding over the last several months, where wheat and corn fell a lot further. So maybe some catch up is going on here in the other grains to get back to where corn is pricing at. Because the big question is going to be now into the springtime uh, with beans below, uh, well, much of the bean complex was below $9 there until right. <laughs> until the last 24 hours. Yeah. Um, what are acreage going to look like and acreage shifts going to look like? Uh, if beans don't start to buy some of those acres and corn will get a friendly rally alongside of it, I'm sure, um, we're going to have an interesting spring planting. We are. Before we get off the topic of corn... Dan, what is a what are some of the targets you've got in mind when we're thinking of resistance levels ahead of us in in the uh, nearby corn? What's your your line in the sand that producers should be worried about or keeping an eye on? I should say the four dollar handle in general, um, both psychological plus where we're seeing uh, a lot of pricing out in the new crop next year um, is definitely an important level in the near term. Um, sitting just below that now, around that three ninety threshold. Um, we're starting to come climb back up to some of the levels, 390 being one, four dollars, 420 being above that, where we had some WASD declines. In other words, spikes uh, levels where we spiked up into the news and then sold off down into new lows after. Re, uh, the market reestablishing and, and regaining those levels is uh, a big deal, but it's also probably not going to come without a fight. So. Um, you know, the initial sellers that sold corn and were profitable from those levels, um, they may come in and try to defend, you know, otherwise options or futures positions they might have on. Um, so I'm expecting, you know, uh, a little bit of resistance here up into the $4 to $4.10 areas as a cluster of uh, technical and uh, kind of news-related highs and lows here. But once we clear through $4, there's not much in the way until you get up to $4.20, $4.30, where we were pre-WASD, um, Oh, gosh, what was it? Was that? That was August. August was the, the limit down. That's yeah. right. Uh, we had limit down into the next day. Um, and that re retaking those levels, I think, is for the longer term very important, but also 
in the short term, it's going to be a fight for the corn market to reestablish itself up there. All right. Well, you mentioned acreage battles. As we get mm. into springtime, well, we've seen beans climb above $9, at least in the nearbys. Uh, January closed today at what, 9 nine. 22 even. 922. So we've got a nice rally over the past four trading sessions in January soybeans. Dan, are there more legs under this soybean rally or do we need to see China make some big purchases to really quell traders' concerns about this uh, uh, trade, trade deal? deal. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that the beans have finally started to respond positively to positive news in this market. And that's usually a good indication that you're in some kind of bull run. Um, and I say that because over the last several months, I mean, six months now, we've been in a 860 to 960 range in your front month beans. And that dollar range, um, finding two bottoms here, one recently, and two tops in, in uh, was it July and, and August there, um, we really don't have much in between those levels to talk about. Um, we've really had the same rhetoric for six months, the same talk of a Chinese deal coming. Now at least that deal's on paper, whether or not it's being translated and, and there'll be losses in translation, who knows. But at least the deal's on paper and it's being ready to actually get signed. That's the first real step of an action-oriented result that I think this market's been looking for. for to take us above you know, 960 and break out of those prior highs, I think we're going to need more of a sign, sealed, delivered type deal. But in the near, near term, it seems that this market is at least digesting this news and taking it in stride. And whatever downside pressure was on these markets and fear um, has been alleviated to the point where I think we are now in a slight uptrend to at least retest those highs that we've seen in the beans over the last six months. 922, January. You're making sales? Uh, you're not quite yet, not without some opportunity to improve on price. Um, I definitely think we need to be finger on the trigger, ready to make some sales here. But a 922 sale is going to be tough for just about anyone in the beans to really make do in a marketing plan. And by the way, this is a 922 sale on the board where your basis might be anywhere from 60 to a dollar under. So um, in this environment, if we had a better basis like corn, we can work with a you know an eight three ninety three eighty sale in corn with the basis we have and the strong cash bids, um, but hey uh, you know beans have had a lot had had more legs knocked out from under them than any market I've seen in a long time, um, and we will make do with what we have. Um, if you're desperate for sales, you find yourself behind uh, or or you know, with any lack of a clear marketing plan here, um, I think it's more important to make sure you have a floor in price right now than maybe looking to actually put on a true hedge for your grain. It's more about protecting your downside right now than I think locking in those prices because 922 is not a not a price you're going to brag about locking into your friends. Especially if this China deal verifies and they do step in with a big order and, right. you know, knock on wood, maybe Absolutely. beans go to a 10 hand. Absolutely. And that's where I think in these up days like we have, options like puts happen to be a little cheaper. If you wanted to make sure you're you, we don't go below $9 again in the beans, you've got that opportunity right now to buy a $9 put and have that floor in price. The nice thing about that put, you're not locked in for the upside and you get to make it all in your cash if we do get that China deal. So um, I don't think it's advantageous to lock in prices, but I definitely think it's, it's a, if you've got a strategy or thinking through a way of, of ratcheting up and locking in that floor, this is absolutely the type of market condition to think about that in. 
All right, Dan. Well, we've talked a lot of grains. I want to get your thoughts on the meat markets. We, you did a, you wrote a great piece here just last week on uh, on the cattle markets and the consolidation we're seeing there in live cattle. Mm-hmm. Bring us up to speed. What are your thoughts right now with live cattle? You know, live cattle definitely ran into some resistance here in the April contract up into the one twenty five area. Um, we then held key support uh, and, and and held the trend true down around one twenty three. And the market responded by running up to highs again and continuing the bull trend. Um, it's it's a very technical market right now. Um, you've got uh, you've got a, a very clear uptrend that uh, has really not given any reason to cons- think it's over. There's certainly loss of momentum that has people wanting to try to pick a top and think that maybe the highs are in. Um, but the truth is, is the trend is true until it's not here. Um, I did point out, however, uh, that this is still an advantageous time, and, and that's, of course, taking more of a speculative look at where's this market going to go. Um, taking, you know, being able to now lock in prices above, you know, contract highs for uh, for December there. Uh, well, now that we're trading up and through in, in April, um, this is a, a great opportunity to to lock in prices that we haven't seen in cattle in in two years, uh, and maybe we'll get you know a little more upside. It's it's funny. We were talking about the beans, how you might have opportunity to put floors in price. Well, in a market that's rallied like this, ironically, the same idea might work be, hold true for you. Um, using this opportunity to make sure that we don't give back this nice rally we've had uh, is certainly uh, um, or should be considered. Um, but I am fearful of the cash markets, and we've had you know futures trading at a at a decent premium to the cash and. Um, if we don't see cash markets continue to you know, pull through, box beef prices continue to rise, uh, futures might actually be starting to outlive their um, or, or outgate their walk. I don't know what the right, saying is. Out, the yeah, cash. thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're overst- they're, right. They've outkicked out- their coverage. That's the term. They've outkicked their coverage a little bit here. Um, so we are keeping a close eye on the spread between cash and the futures at this time. Fantastic. Dan Hussey, you've got a lot of work to do, but if our listeners want to get in touch with you, pick your brain a little further, where can they go to do so? Well, you can always give me a call at 312-277-0110. Uh, find me on Facebook or Twitter at Daniel M. Hussey Jr. Uh, and, uh, of course, always uh, in the ag chat group that we run. Uh, find us on, on Facebook and Twitter, and we'd be happy to have a conversation with you. Fantastic. Market strategist Dan Hussey from Zaner Egg Hedge. All right. Well, that does an exciting day in the markets, Delaney. It certainly is, Mike. We will see if this kind of enthusiasm can carry forward through the rest of the week, but as things stand now... You know, it's nice to see some green on the screen in the grains. And if listeners want to put more green on their screen, we've got some money-making tips in this podcast. They can uh, pick up on some ideas, insights. All they got to do is listen to our past episodes, which you can do at our website at agnewsdaily.com. All of our past episodes are up there. Or find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to search for Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.